wonder if you've heard the song Hunger by Florence the Machine. I wonder if you've even heard of Florence the Machine. It doesn't really matter because Hunger is a fantastic song. Not just because Florence has a brilliant voice, but also because she taps into something of our longings as over and over again, the song has this constant refrain, we all have a hunger. And I think in lots of ways, that's kind of the soundtrack of our lives, isn't it? She sings, we never found the answer, but we knew one thing, we all have a hunger. So let me ask you this morning, what would it take to make you satisfied, truly satisfied with life? I mean, how would you end this sentence? I will be happy when dot, dot, dot. What would you say to that? Maybe you might come up with one of these answers. I'll be happy when I get a job, when I get a promotion, a, a pay rise. I'll be happy when I can work for myself. I'll be happy when I've got enough money saved to buy a house. I'll be happy when we can move to a bigger house with a garden. I'll be happy when we can pay off the mortgage. I'll be happy to be rich. I'll be happy when I own an olive grove in Sardinia. I'll be happy when I'm in a relationship. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when we get, have children. I'll be happy when my children are exactly the right kind of children who get good grades, have sunny dispositions and play nicely with other children. I'll be happy when people like me. I'll be happy when more people like me. I'll be happy when everybody likes me. I'll be happy when people dream of me. I'll be happy to look okay. I'll be happy to turn heads. I'll be happy to have smoother skin. I'll be happy to have, have a flat stomach. I'll be happy to have a six pack. I'll be even happy to have an eight pack. I'll be happy when every photo I post online gets 10,000 likes on Instagram or Facebook. I wonder what you'd say. I wonder if any of your dot, dot, dots were in there. But whatever you'd say, you've got to end up finishing the sentence, maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know if you know this cycle. You set your goal, you achieve it, you feel euphoria, you're top of the world, and then it's an anticlimax. You, yeah, you just come crashing back down again. Goal, achievement, euphoria, emptiness. Uh, we're in this perpetual loop, this relentless, never-ending pursuit of happiness, always looking for the next thing and then the next thing and the next thing, with nothing ever quite reaching the mark. I think C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia books and uh, philosopher, hits the nail right on the head when he says this. Most people, most people, if they really learn how to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us, are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. Lewis goes on, he says, I'm not speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or trips and so on. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There is also always something we grasp at in that first moment of longing that just fades away in the reality. The spouse may be a good spouse. The scenery has been excellent. The job has turned out to be a good job, but it 
has evaded us. I wonder if you feel the pinch of that. We have these longings, but nothing quite seems to satisfy the itch, scratch where we're itching. We search desperately for satisfaction in sex and love and, and, and ap- academic success or fitness and holidays. And <laughs> these things can feel nice. They're great at the time we get this, this temporary endorphin-loaded high. But then on the other side, we come crashing back down to earth as we realise that what we were really searching for, well, we haven't found it. The it has evaded us. Now we try and fight this in many ways because we don't like feeling like this. This insatiable hunger, this appetite that we can't satisfy, it often leaves us feeling miserable. And so we come up with all kinds of coping strategies or mechanisms. Like uh, so much of our lives, we, we spend thinking that contentment is coming. You know, it's just around the corner. If only we could just get there, then, then we'll make it. Uh, if only we could finish those exams. If only uh, we could get our own house. Uh, if only we could yeah, get married and have children. If we could just get that pu- paper published. If we could uh, just get to retirement. Well, then we will have arrived. Contentment is just around the corner. The trouble is, it's a never-ending corner. And we spend our lives in waiting and expectation with it always just tantalizingly out of reach. Then again, we might just blame others. We might think, I will be happy, (laughs) I would be happy, if it weren't for my parents or my boss or my spouse or, or the government. There is always someone to blame for our discontent, isn't there? And it's never us. Or we could have some kind of midlife crisis or a quarter life crisis or a late life crisis or a whatever life crisis. And we just constantly try to reinvent ourselves as we keep searching, looking for this it that has been evading us all our lives. Oh, but it is it's so wearing, it's just exhausting to live like that, never quite knowing who we are or where we're at. Or we might just end up despairing. Like this guy, uh, Francis Spofford, the British author, he writes, the day comes when you're lying in the bath and you notice that you're 39. And that the way you are living bears scarcely any resemblance to what you thought you always wanted. And yet you realize you got there by a long series of choices. Folks, however we try to handle these hunger pangs, I think it's striking to see the lack of progress that we have made in our pursuit of happiness. I mean, when you think about it, with all the technological advances that we have made, with the incredible access we have to all kinds of pleasure-seeking stuff, Uh, with the comparative wealth that we actually have compared to previous eras, despite all of that, I don't think we're really any happier than our great-great-grandparents were, are we? In fact, when you factor in incidences of mental health, depression, suicide, I think we're doing a lot, lot worse, actually. 
Now, if you're thinking, oh my goodness, why did I tune in to this this morning? This is just so depressing. Please stay with me. Please stay with me. What if our search for satisfaction was not in vain? What if there is actually an answer to our hunger pains? Well, that's the incredible claim that Jesus makes uh, or made when he came to earth. And so we're going to take a moment to look at that in uh, the Bible. We're going to look at an account in the Bible of Jesus' life written by a guy called John. And as we do this, I'm aware that we all have different preconceptions about the Bible. So let me encourage you to come at this with an open mind, just looking at it for what it is. Jesus was one of the closest friends, uh, sorry, John was one of the closest friends of Jesus. And so he saw him up close and personal and was able uh, to give an eyewitness account for us so that we could see who he really is and what he said and what he did. And we join his account as Jesus has done the most incredible miracle, feeding over 5,000 people with just a little boy's tiny packed lunch. And Mahini, uh, one of the members of our church, is going to pick up the story there and read it for us. Thank you, Ken. Our reading is from John chapter 6, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the lake saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So crowds of people are wildly chasing after Jesus. 
And why wouldn't they? He's just pulled off the most incredible miracle, laying on a feast for them from five loaves and just a couple of fish. So when they find him gone the next morning, they jump in their boats and go zigzagging across the lake to find him. It's like the most incredible game of wacky races if you're old enough to remember that cartoon. And when they find him, they play it all cool. So Jesus, fancy meeting you here. Do you come here often? It's like the worst chat up line ever. But Jesus sees right through them. He knows that they are only interested in him because he has supplied their material needs. So he lays out a challenge for them in verse 27. He says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying, there is a food that spoils. In other words, it doesn't last. But there is also uh, some sort of food that lasts forever. Most things, as we've seen this morning, they only bring temporary satisfaction. They're like a loaf of bread left in your bread bin too long. They, they eventually go stale. Or, or like vegetables sitting at the bottom of your fridge, they eventually go soggy. But Jesus is saying that there's, there's something more, something better, something that will provide eternal satisfaction. So what is this? What is this food that lasts, that, that Jesus is, pro is promising will satisfy the hunger of our hearts? Would well, you see it there? It was right at the end of the passage in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I mean, wow, that is some claim, isn't it? Uh, but I don't think we quite get the weight of it because... We don't understand bread. I mean, we like bread. And if you saw last week's uh, Great British Bake Off, you'll know, know that we can do the most incredible things with bread. But we don't need it as much as the folks in Jesus' day did. To them, no bread equaled no life. Since bread, not meat, was the staple diet of their day, it was difficult to for people then to conceive of life without bread. Bread was what kept you on your feet. If you didn't have bread, you were a goner. And Jesus says to them, listen folks, I am as indispensable to life as bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the it that you have been looking for all the time and never quite finding. I'm the only thing that can truly satisfy you that will never perish or spoil or fade or disappoint. I'm what you're hungering after, truly, deep down. You see, we were born hungry, not just for our mummy's milk, but our souls crying out for God. We were made by God, for God. Uh, and designed to find satisfaction in him and him alone. Essentially, we were made to love God above everything else. But the trouble is that we've taken the good gifts that God gives us in this world and ignored him, the giver. Uh, and, and, and as we turn away from him, we, we love other things. We love anything more than we love him. 
And so the good things in life become God things to us. We turn to them to try and find ultimate satisfaction in them. We turn them into ultimate things, things that we must have. And, and, and lay all of our hopes on, of contentment on them. And so we shouldn't be surprised when they fail us or disappoint us, when they don't give us the satisfaction that we crave. Because it's not what they were designed for. And it's not what we were designed for either. So you may try and find satisfaction in a relationship and you're delighted to find the man or the woman of your dreams and fall in love. And that's a good thing. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But that dream will turn into a nightmare if you love that person more than God. Because no human being is capable of living up to that. No, no, no wonder almost half of all marriages end in divorce. Because how can you live with that burden of expectation, that pressure to be somebody's God and fill and feed their spiritual hunger? A friend of mine was sitting a few years back at the Christmas dinner table enjoying a brilliant Christmas dinner with his family when all of a sudden he realised that one by one, each of them was going to die so that there was only going to be one of them left sitting at that table in, at Chris, in Christmases to come. Happy Christmas, eh? <laughs> Sounds like the kind of guy you'd love to pull your Christmas cracker with. But to be fair to him, one of his grandparents had passed away that year, and so there was a missing seat at the table. So it was all on their minds. I wonder if you experienced that yourself one Christmas. And it may not be a very cheery thought, but it is inevitable for all of us, isn't it? Everyone else who matters to you will one day be in the ground. And so if the source of your contentment, if you pour all of your love into your family, then that is intolerable to us, isn't it? That thought, which is why Jesus says to these guys in John 6, he says, do not work for food that spoils, that perishes, because if you put all of your time, all of your energy, if you pour all of your love into something in this world that doesn't last, then number one, it won't be big enough to fill your heart because your heart is deeper than you know. And number two, it is too fragile, way too fragile, so it will crush you when it is gone. And so Jesus says, only if you love God more than you love anything else will your heart not always be broken. He says, he goes on, doesn't he? He says, receive food that endures for eternal life. Receive that for which you were made for. Receive me, because I am the only thing that can't be taken from you. And Jesus says that we're to receive him as bread, which I know sounds really weird, but again, we've got to get into the mindset of these folks in John 6 and, and, and think about what they were thinking about. 
as they had this discussion about bread and as Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I wonder what your favourite type of bread is. Maybe tiger bread or a really lovely bagel or some brioche, some brioche buns. These guys, their dream bread was, well, what they talked about in verse 31. They said to Jesus, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. Can you give us manna? As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So the story earlier on in the Bible from the book of Exodus was that God had rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt and he was taking them to a wonderful new land to live. But in order to get there, they had to travel through the desert. And you may not have experienced desert life, but you'll know it's not exactly an abundant food source. So every day, God sent down manna to them, bread from heaven. It, it, it was kind of, looked like kind of frost on the ground, but you could gather it up and make little loaves of, or cakes of bread from it. And Jesus, Jesus is saying, I am so like that bread. Because that bread was powerful. It gave you strength. And that bread was pleasant because it was very, very sweet. And Jesus, like the manna, is powerful. I mean, just read through the gospel accounts of his life in the Bible and you will see his power at work as he, was, as he heals the sick and he makes uh, the lame able to walk again. He brings sight back to the blind. He even raises the dead. He was so powerful that he himself broke through death himself and arose from a tomb, leaving it empty. And because he did that, he is able to take us through death to eternal life too, when our time comes to pass on. He is that powerful. But he's also very sweet. He is pleasant to know and be around. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were always accusing him of not being nearly religious enough. <clears throat> and they accused him of always being fasting and eating. In fact, Jesus said that heaven itself was going to be a party, the most incredible party that you could ever experience. He's good to be around. He's good to get to know and experience life with. And God gives us this kind of power and pleasure in Jesus. And all we have to do to receive it is believe. As Jesus says in verse 29, we don't have to go through an eternal checklist of of things to do, jumping constantly through hoops. No, we simply have to believe. Now, believing isn't just giving our mental assent to this, going, yeah, yeah, I believe that this guy, Jesus, existed once upon a time. No, believing is trusting him and trusting in the promises that he gives us for life in the future. And if we do that, then Jesus says, (laughs) he will fully satisfy our longings. He said to them back then and to us now, 
and to Florence and the machine, he says, yes, there is an answer. There's an answer to these hunger pangs. I will fill them fully so you will never be hungry again. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll ever be dissatisfied with this uh, life. Uh, Christians don't always walk around with a permanent smile on their face. If you know any Christians, you'll know that. We still feel longings that won't be fulfilled in this life. But the difference is that it won't crush us, it won't consume us when things fail us in this life. Because actually our deepest longings, we know they are met in Jesus and in his promises.